Good morning, everyone. Um, today we'll be reading John chapter 17. So please do go there. Is everybody there? And it says, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorify you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me to do. Now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know the truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them have been lost, except for the son of destruction, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you that they may also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you, and these know you, and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love which you have loved me may be in them and I in them. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Lutando. Um, let us pray. Heavenly Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. Oh Lord, I, I thank you for this day. 
Lord, I thank you for this morning. Lord, I thank you that I get to open your word, Lord, and I get to speak from it, Lord. Lord, I thank you that you're faithful to your word, Lord. Thank you for all that you are, for who you are, Lord. I thank you that you've made yourself known to us, Lord. That you've manifested the Father to us, Lord. And Lord, I pray this morning, Lord, that as we would sit under the authority of your word, I pray that you would take control. I pray that above the preacher, above the hearer, Lord, above my fear, above my nervousness, Lord, above above my lisp, that let your name be glorified, Lord. Let your name be lifted, I I pray that you would take all the glory, Lord. That when we look at your word, Lord, we will see you. Glorify your name this morning, O Lord. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Alright, this morning, we'll be looking at John 17, from verse 6 to 19. The last time, um, we looked at... um, John 17 from verse 1 to 5. Um, if you were not here and if you want to listen to it, uh, you're welcome. You can go to um, our social media platform. Um, it's all there, all available. Um, from verse 1 to 5, the section, it's all about Jesus praying for himself, for his own glory. And this section here from verse 6 to 19, it's all about Jesus praying for his disciples. Um, the last time, uh, I just want to do a, a recap of the last time where I mentioned that John 17 is the Lord's Prayer. Usually we call, often, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 to 13 is often called the Lord's Prayer. But this is not the kind of prayer that Jesus would pray. Because in there it mentioned that forgive us our sins. Jesus is perfect, is holy, is pure, is righteous altogether. He has no sin in him. Therefore, he has no need of forgiveness. So Matthew chapter 6 is the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples So Matthew chapter 6 should be called disciples' prayer, or better still, um, the sinner's prayer, because this is the prayer that we pray. He told them, when you pray, pray like this, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, and so on. I also mentioned the importance of prayer. As this passage displays the humiliation of Jesus in a different way. That Jesus, whom all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Jesus, whom holds the universe by the words of his power, is brought to a position where he prayed. It depends on God. Prayer is not something that believers do just to 
uh, take up of their checklist and like, I pray today. Now, prayer is what we do, how, 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 we, how we pour our heart and desires to our Heavenly Father, how we communicate with Him. Prayer is how we, how we pour out our, our struggles, our pains to Him. Prayer is how we access infinite resources of heaven that has been put at our disposal. And here we have a leading example of a life characterized by prayer in the person of Jesus Christ. As his hour is near, he poured out his heart. He poured out his desires to the Father. This is what God, this is what Jesus wants for the believers. In fact, I will go further and say, if you're a believer in here and you want to know the will of God for your life, behold, John 17. Um, This morning, as we look at verse 6 to 19, I will divide the text into three keywords. And those keywords will be manifestation, which is in John 17, verse 16 to 10, um, preservation, which will be in John 17, 11 to 16, and sanctification, which is going to be in verse 17 to 19. And I hope those keywords will be able to help us to follow um, as we look into these studies. Manifestation. John chapter 17, verse 6 to 10. In verse 6, it says, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me. And they have kept your word. Said, I, I manifested your name to the people. Manifest in the Bible is to make visible or to make clear or make known of something. And name, a name is synonymous with um, a character of a person. It, rep- it represents all that a person is. So when Jesus said, I have manifested your name, when he said, I've manifested the Father's name, it means he has come to make the Father known to us. I can stand here and, and tell you about the character of God all day long. But what I cannot do is tell you that I have manifested the character of God because I'm full of flaws. The Father is manifested in different ways. For example, we see it in creation. Psalm 19, verse 1. The heavens declare the glory of God. So, it means we can see the mercy, the, the grace, the, the wrath, the awesomeness, the power, the intelligence of God just by looking at his creation. Also, the Father is manifested through providence and history. And it's also manifested through the scripture. But the greatest manifestation of God is through the person of Jesus Christ. In Colossians chapter 1 verse 15, it says, He is the image of the invisible God. 
Meaning, you want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. In John chapter 1, verse 18, it says, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side as he has made him known. And I love the way uh, the NIV version put this. It's, it's, it's amazing. It said, No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is himself God, is in the closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. The NIV is specifying that Jesus himself is God. John chapter 12, verse 45. Jesus said, Whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. John chapter 14, verse 8 to 9. When Philip asked Jesus, he said, Lord, show us the Father, and that, that's good enough for us. And Jesus replied and said to him, said, I have been with you so long, and you still do not know me, Philip. Wherever I've seen me, I've seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? See, for anyone to make such statement, it's either it's crazy or is self-deceived or truly he is God in flesh. Because so what we know, everything that we know about the mercy of God, everything that we know about the grace of God, about the forgiveness of God, about the wrath of God, is manifested to us through the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then it went further to specify the people that it manifested God's name to. said, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. It is referring to, specifically, referring to the 11 disciples excluding, if we exclude um, um, Judas. They were chosen by the Father before time. The Father gave them to the Son to be his chosen bride. And as we read further, Jesus acknowledges this and he said, yours the way and you gave them to me. They were yours, and you gave them to me. In this short statement, we see the sovereign, sovereign election that God chose this man as his own possession. He chose them for himself and by himself. The reason he chose them is based on his own amazing love and mercy. He didn't choose them because of them. He chose them in spite of them. And then he entrusted them to his son as his love gift in order to, to accomplish his mission. And then he said, they kept your word. Those people you gave me, these, these guys you gave me, they kept your word. They kept themselves under the authority of your word. They abide by it. 
They lived by it. They kept it. John chapter 8, verse 13, Jesus said, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. In verse 7 of this text, verse 7, it says, Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. Now they get it. Matthew 16, verse 13 to 16, when comes to mind right now, when um, Jesus asked his disciples, like, who do people say that I am? And they went on and said, some, some say you're John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah, uh, others say you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets, you know. And Jesus asked, but who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. He gets it. Now they know. Father, they know that everything is from you. They know that everything you gave me, everything is from you. The ministry, the message, the word, the mission, everything comes from you. Jesus is acknowledging this to the Father in prayer. In verse 8, he said, For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and have come to know the truth. And I came from you, that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. For I have, I have given them the words that you gave me. Basically, every time Jesus opens his mouth, he spoke the word of God. He spoke everything that the Father gives him to speak. And Jesus is faithful. He's a faithful son. He passes on every word that the Father gave him to this man. And then he said, And they have received and have come to know the truth that I came from you. And they have believed that you sent me. He acknowledges their faith. Take note of the three words there in this, that short text. Receive. No, or we can use the word, some uh, version says understood, and believe. Receive, know, and believe. Those three words, those are essential elements for true saving, saving faith. They're essential. To receive the word of God is to, to lay hold of it. To know the, the word of God is to experimentally understand it. And to believe is to commit your life to the word of God. In verse 9, it says, I am praying for them. I am not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me. For they are yours. Jesus know that, knows that his time is near. He's about to leave. He's been with these guys for three years already in his, throughout his public ministry. And he's about to leave. And he prayed for them. He prayed because he knows that trouble is coming. He prayed because he knows that their faith will be tested. Their faith will be attacked. 
Then it become, it, it, later on, it becomes very specific about the group that it's praying for. It said, I am not praying for the world, but I'm praying for those whom you gave me. My disciple, the people that you gave me. I'm praying for these people. The world, in this statement, is referring to the world system. Those who believe or the people that the father has given to his son. Now, I know that this passage is, refer- is referring to the disciples specifically, but uh, this prayer can also extend to believers far and wide. Because in, in, verse, in verse 20, it says, I do not ask for this only, but also for those who will believe in me through their words. The prayer also extends to believers far and wide. If you are a believer, you are a believer because the Father has given you to his Son. And then he continues, he said, for they are yours. The tense, tense, I hope I pronounce that properly. The tense, are, A-R-E, is a continuous tense, meaning it's saying, even though you gave them to me, they do not stop being yours. They belong to you. Those whom you chose in eternity past, they continue becoming, they, they, they continue becoming your possession. The, the father's choice cannot be revoked. The people he has chose, his choice cannot be revoked. Those whom he chose before eternity past are his people, and they will come to faith in Jesus Christ as, at his own appointed time. In verse 10, it reads, All mine are yours, and yours are, my, are mine, and I am glorified in them. This statement claims the deity of Jesus Christ, in that he is co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father. At the end of verse 10, he said, and I have been glorified in them. This is a sincere prayer. It speaks of Jesus' ministry, which is to, 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 to make the Father known. Those whom the Father had given me, has given him before the foundation of the world. I said the last time that if you're a Christian here, you're a Christian, not because you made a decision to become a Christian or to accept Christ, no. You become a Christian, you believe because the Father gave you to his Son. He chose you before time. The Father chose you in eternity past and he gave you to his Son to execute your salvation. Again, Matthew 16 when they ask him, who do people say that I am? And they reply, some say you're John the Baptist, others say you're Elijah, others say you're Jeremiah. And Jesus asks, asks them, who do, who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus replied to him, says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. See, salvation is a supernatural work of God. 
For it to be salvation, it has to be supernaturally given. And Jesus is acknowledging this in prayer. And the second key, perseverance. In verse 11, it says, And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, and that they may be one, even as we are one. I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. It speaks of the cross. I am no longer in the world. It speaks of the cross as if, as if it has already happened at that appointed time. It speaks of it that I'm no longer in the world. And said, but they are in the world. And this referred to his disciple by day. That these people will remain in the world and carry out the work that Jesus had already started. And then he said, I am coming to you. This speaks of the certainty of his return. He's so sure. He's so sure that on the other side of the cross, his sacrifice will be received by the Father. He has no doubt at all. Then he said, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. Holy Father, keep them. Preserve them in your name. Jesus is about to leave, and he, he pleaded fa- plead to the Father to preserve them by his, in his grace. Um, there's this movie called uh, Shazam. Uh, I think it came out in 2019. So basically, this boy, about 10 years old, so, um, was on the train and magic, magically, because that's the only way I can explain it, he magically finds himself in a, a parallel dimension where he, find a, he finds a, a, a dying priest who was the previous Shazam, and he's looking for a worthy successor. And anyway, he gave, he gave him the power. So every time this boy said Shazam, he becomes a superhero. You know, he's with the ability of flight and super strength and bulletproof skin and all those other superhero stuff. All by saying Shazam, calling the name Shazam. Jesus is, in a similar way, Jesus is invoking the name of God here. Like, Holy Father, preserve them, keep them in your name. It's not something he just said because it, it's just, it, it sounds nice to say. No, he believes in it. He believes in the power that is in that name. And he said, the name, which, the, the name which you have given me is referring to his deity as God. He's referring to his deity as, as God himself. And it is in that name that we also, the, the, the name that Jesus has manifested to us, that we also know that at the, at the name of Jesus, every nail should bow in heaven and on earth 
and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. It is a powerful name. So he prayed, Father, keep them in your name so that they can all be kept as one. Preserve them. This is the name of God. God doesn't joke with his own name. He said, I am the Lord, that is my name. My glory I will share with no other. And Jesus knows that and he invokes that name so that his own people, the people that the Father has given to him, will be preserved, will be kept. In verse 12, it says, While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have gathered them, and not one of them has been lost except the son of destruction, that the scripture may be fulfilled. While I was with them, I kept them. I kept them in your name, which you have given me. This verse and verse 11, while I was reading it, I, I think they should, they're one and the same. In fact, they should have been one verse on their, on their own. Again, Jesus is praying, saying, Father, keep them in your name. Keep them in your saving grace, because while I was with them, I kept them in your name. Then he said, I gathered them, which means he, he safeguard them. He protects them, you know, to protect someone from danger. And that was, that, that's what Jesus has been doing throughout the three years of his public ministry. He protects his own people. He kept them. And then he said, not, not one of them has been lost. Jesus is a good shepherd. He's a good shepherd that lost, he lost none of his sheep. Not even one. Then he continues. He said, except for the son of destruction. We know the son of destruction is, is referring to Judas. Now, this is where a lot of questions start popping up all over the place. I'm like, oh, wait a second. But he said he didn't lose any one of them. Oh, wait a second. Huh, why Judas? So all kinds of questions start popping up here. See, Jesus added this in prayer because he knew that it was foreordained by the Father. Hence, when he said, so that the scripture might be fulfilled. As for the son of destruction, it was all part of the plan that Jesus, um, that Judas, excuse me, that Judas will fall away so that the scripture might be fulfilled. And we can read the prophecies in Psalm 41 verse 9. Um, we can also see it in uh, Psalm 109 verse 5 to 8. And, and also Zechariah, Zechariah 11 verse 12 to 13. Um, I encourage you to look at that on your own time. Because why, why Judas? Judas, Judas? Judas was never was never one of the sheep. Judas was a goat. He never belonged to the Lord. It wasn't like it's not like he was once saved and then he stopped being saved and then he perished. No, he was never saved to begin with. 
And we can see, it, um, if we read through the gospel, all the things he did, complained about the value of the perfume he stole from, from them. And several things like that. He never repented. Then the question is, God, if, if you know Judas is never gonna, going to be saved or repent, or, but why? Why do you choose him as, a, as one of the disciples in the first place? What's the point of it? Well, I think the answer to that is that Judas, the son of destruction, stands as a warning to those who are active in God's work but have never been born again. It will be a warning to those who attend churches but had never come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. The son of destruction stands as a warning that we must be born again. But, however, that is not the point of that verse. The point of the verse is that Jesus keeps his own. If you are his, he keeps you. Those whom the Father has given to him before time, he keeps them, he protects them. And who are, the, who are his own? They are the people that the Father gave to him. They are the people that receive his words. They are the people that believe that Jesus come from God. In verse 13, it says, But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in them. So, but now I come to you. Again, he's anticipating his, his, uh, his ascension and exaltation. And said, and these things I speak to the world that they may, they may have my joy fulfilled in them. This is a reminder to us that what causes joy in our heart is the knowledge of the truth. The primary means that joy flows in our soul is by the knowledge of the scripture. John chapter 15 verse 11 says, These things I, spoke, I, I, I have spoken to you, that my joy may be, may be in you, that your joy may be full. In verse 14 of this chapter, it says, I have given them to your word, oh, sorry, yeah, I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I have given them to your world, and the world have hated them. The, the world, W-O-R-L-D, sorry, I have to spell it out because lisp problem. <laughs> it refers to the world system. So you and I live in a world that conspires against God. And every inch of it is being overtaken by the prince of this world. We see that in the world of music. We see it in the world of politics. We see it in the world of entertainment, sports. It is being overseen by Satan. It is Antichrist. It is not neutral. 
It is not, wow, but you know, it is still all right. I mean, look at that. No. It is not in between. It is not neutral. We are not of this world. You and I are not of this world. We are alien in this world. We live in this world, but we are not of it. We are citizens of the kingdom of God. So the world will never support us. They will never applaud us. They will never agree with what we do. In fact, we are public enemy number one to the world. And why? Because we believe abortion is killing babies. Because we believe that a man is a man and a woman is a woman and everyone should be what God created them to be. Because we believe it is Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. Or, or man and wife, not man united. Or woman united, so to speak. This is why we're not of this world. We cannot expect the world to agree with what we, what we believe. We are foreigners. We're strangers here in this world. Our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in the kingdom of God for which we wait, we await our Savior, Jesus Christ. Verse 15. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. I do not ask that you take them out of this world. See, the will of God for the believers is not for every believer to isolate themselves in their own little space and do everything together. Don't get me wrong, we should fellowship. But the will of God is not that we do everything together and, you know, eat together, go take the bus to church together. No, no, no. The will of God is that we go into the world and shine the light of the gospel. I don't know. I'm not asking you to take them out of this world, but keep them from evil one. Keep them here. Yes, keep them in the world so that they can shine the light of the gospel, so that they can go out there. The Great Commission still come into play here to go into the world and make disciples of all nations. It is the will of God that we stay in the world and, and rub shoulders with unbelievers so that we can share the gospel with them. And those whom the Father has, has chosen before time will surely come to know Jesus, will surely believe. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus taught his prayer, I mean, his, his follower to, to pray. He taught them, he said, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. When Jesus said, I don't ask you to take them out of the world, but keep them from evil one. Like, protect them. The evil one, referring to Satan. Protect them from the evil one. Do not let the world shipwreck their faith. Do not let the world stain them. Jesus knows that they are evil ones. And you would think, because he knows that, he will just, you know, take his people out of the world. No, 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 no. He sent them further into the world. But then he prayed. Protect them. Keep them from evil one. See, it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean that the evil one will not tempt us. 
but it will never be able to shipwreck our faith in Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 1 to 3, the, the first time I saw this, I'm like, wow. It says, but now, thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the water, I will be with you. And through the river, I have, and through the fire, they will not overwhelm you. And when you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned. For I am the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. Jesus will know these words. And he's calling on that same God. He said, listen, deliver them from the evil one. As your people are in the midst of the world, while evil is coming down, is coming down on your people, you are the one who saves and redeems. You are the one who is with your people through the water and fire. Don't take them out of the fire. Don't, don't take them away from the water and fire. No, 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 no. Be with them. See them through it. Help them. Deliver them. Because you are the Holy One of Israel. Verse 16 says, They are not of this world, just as I am not of this world. This is a, verse, verse 16 is a repetition of the end of verse 14. See, the realm at which you and I are from, and the world are totally at opposite with each other. They, are, they opposed each other. They have totally different agenda. They have totally different values. They have totally, they have totally different views about everything, basically. And we need to understand that. Though we live in this world, we are not to be conformed to this world. We are not to look like it. Sadly, we see many churches today who... We try to attract the world by welcoming things of this world. And at the end of the day, what they have is a gathering of unbelievers, a gathering of unrepented people, a gathering of unconverted people. Jesus is praying for everyone that the Father has given, given to him to be preserved so that they would not, they wouldn't lose their salvation. He's praying for you and I. No matter how weak we may feel sometimes in our Christian life, no matter how, how we may fail, no matter how we, we cave in at, at times and we're disappointed, but rest assured in this, he didn't choose you because of you. He didn't choose you because you're smart. He didn't choose you because you, 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 you're disciplined. He didn't choose you because you're tough. No. He chose you in spite of you. Therefore, the Father will never let you go. 
you will forever be held in his grace. The next key, sanctification. In verse 17, it says, Sanctify them in the truth. Again, there we go. The, the truth, T-R-U-T-H. Your word is truth. Sanctify them in the truth. The word sanctify means to be holy or to be separated or to be set apart for a specific purpose or use. At home, um, my mom, they, at, at, at my parents' place, there's a, in, in this, my mom has a, this top shelf where she, put, she keeps all her nice plates and silverwares and dishes and everything, and I dare not touch it. And, I mean, I want to, they're nice. I want to use it. I don't want to use the regular plate. <laughs> she only takes it out whenever we have a guest, basically. Those things are either used once a year or never used at all in two years or whatever. And I don't get the point of it. They are, those things, they are set apart for that specific purpose. That is the only thing they do. In a similar way, believers are set apart, are holy, are sanctified, set apart for a specific purpose. We're set apart to share the light of the gospel. And Jesus prayed sincerely, he's like, Holy Father, do not let the world tarnish them. Do not let the world stain them. Sanctify them. Set them apart. See, our, our Savior has prayed for our Christian life. Our Savior has prayed that we become more and more like him. Even though there, there may be seasons where we backslide or when we trip and fall, but we will never reverse course and go back to what we once were before we become believers. For everyone who is a believer here, Jesus has prayed for your spiritual life, for your Christian life. And that prayer is being answered in your life. Jesus' prayer is always answered. Sanctify them. In a nutshell, sanctification is this. The Holy Father, the Holy God, making us holy. And the instrument at which we are, the instrument or equipment used to make us sanctified is the truth. The truth of the word of God. And Jesus is affirming this. Your word is truth. Psalm 119 verse 9 to 11 says, How can a young man keep his way pure? By, by guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandment. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. The word of God has sanctifying power. Verse 18. As you sent me into the world, so 
I have sent them into the world. As we are to be sent into the world, as, as Jesus is sent into the world, we need to be sanctified in, in order for us to make any impact in the world. We need to be holy. We should not try to be like the world. We should be careful of churches that embrace the things of the world. We should become transformed in the image of, of Jesus Christ through his word. Verse 19. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. Um, the NIV version and some other version say, I, I sanctify myself. Like I've said before, sanctification can also mean holy. And holiness is not about uh, uh, cleansing of sin. Because if, if, you, if it were, it would mean that Jesus became holy when sin existed. But in fact, holiness, the literal meaning of holiness is to separate, to set apart for a specific, um, specific use or purpose. And in this verse, Jesus is saying, I sanctify myself. The question that should probably come to mind is, wait a second, I get the purpose of sanctification with us believers, but how, what does sanctification mean for Jesus? Is it, that, is it that he wasn't sanctified before and he's going to become sanctified at the cross? Or he was less sanctified before and he's going to be more sanctified? No. That would be wrong because Jesus has been sanctified before the beginning of time. In fact, he is the very definition of sanctification. Isaiah chapter 6 verse 2, it says, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh of hosts. The earth is full of his glory. He mentioned it holy three times. And in the, in the scripture, they mention things three times or seven times and other numbers like that. It represents complete, absolute. The Yahweh of hosts, Jesus, is the definition of absolute sanctification. Then, what does sanctification mean for Jesus? If he is the definition of absolute sanctification. See, for us, sanctification means to be set apart for a specific use, which is um, to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. But for Jesus, sanctification means to, to rededicate or to, to reaffirm to, to a specific purpose. The rededication or the reaffirming of a, to, a de, uh, to a specific purpose or mission, which in this case, that mission is the cross. Jesus is saying, for their sake, I will go to the cross. I will bear their sins. I sanctify myself. For the sake of the elect, for the sake of those that the Father has given me, I will go to the cross and bear their sins. And then he continued. 
so that they may be sanctified in truth. That means when Jesus died on the cross, not only is our record of sin canceled, but there's such a power in the blood of Jesus that is death sanctifies us and purifies our, our daily lives. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 24, it says, it says, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. See, even though that our sins are canceled, are done away with in the cross, but there is more to the death of Christ than cancellation of sin. When he died, we died to our old ways of life with him. And when he, when he was raised from the dead, we rise with him to a new life. We walk in the newness of life because our Savior is risen. There is sanctifying power in the death of Christ. I, I, I consecrate myself. I sanctify myself because of them. Jesus wants us to be holy, to be more like him. In conclusion, after reading all the prayer of Jesus, the question is, now what? What must I do with this? What would you do with the prayer of Jesus? Here's a few things to consider. First of all, what do you need to tear out of your life that is tearing you away from Jesus? Run from it. Flee from it. And what do you need to build up in your life? What do we need to build up? Jesus wants us to be holy. He wants us to be made holy by, by the truth of his word. So let us build up meditation on the scripture. Let us, let us build up on, on what he's calling us to do, which is to share the gospel. Let us build up on helping one another. Let us build up on keeping each other in the faith. Let us build up on encouraging one another. We are meant to be holy and go into the world and represent Jesus Christ in our community in our jobs, in our school, at home. And I pray that, as, that God will help us in this mission. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you, you remain faithful even while we are weak, while we are faithless at times. You keep your word. You keep us from the evil one. You uphold us. You prayed for us. You sanctify us. Lord, at times, our actions prove that we are foolish. Lord, I pray that you will have mercy on us, Lord. Lord, you will show mercy, Lord. 
I pray that you would forgive us, Lord, from our sins. You will forgive us of all the times where we are puffed up by pride. Pride to, to, to pray. Pride to meditate on your scripture. Pride to worship. Lord, I pray that you will have mercy on us, Lord. You will, you will tamper justice with mercy, Lord. Lord, I pray that you will help us, Lord. Give us the strength, Lord, to be more and more and more like you. Lord, help us that when people see us, Lord, they will see your grace. Lord, I thank you for this day, Lord, that we have the opportunity to sit down and open your word without fear, without the fear of persecution, without the fear of gunmen coming in. We can worship. Lord, I, I thank you for all these things. And Lord, I pray that your word will, will take a deeper root in our hearts, Lord. Lord, I pray that for anyone who is not a believer in here, Lord, I pray that you will harvest their heart, Lord, and they will come to bow in worship and surrender. I pray that you will take the glory in our heart, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.